Well, as Gene said, this is a big week for us. It's a big week for Christians across the world. This is Holy Week, the, the week where we uh, acknowledge Jesus entering into Jerusalem, knowing th- what it will lead to, the cross, his death and resurrection for our sins, for our reconciliation with our God. It's a time that we set apart where we want to focus on who is this Jesus, what has he done, and how that has changed our entire lives. There, there are a few things that we are offering uh, throughout this week. We have our Good Friday services uh, this upcoming Friday at 6.30 in this very room. It is a quieter service where we uh, want to acknowledge the death of Jesus. We want to take communion together. We want uh, to have this time to be a, a bit of uh, a moment to ponder what is it that was done. I encourage you to come to that. And it's a little bit of a a bipolar moment because then we uh, bring in cotton candy machines and popcorn and all kinds of games for the next day as we invite our friends, our neighbors to come for an Easter egg hunt. Where if you haven't seen an Easter egg hunt at Calvary, which uh, if you've only experienced Calvary Thornton, you haven't seen an Easter egg hunt at Calvary. This is our first one. Uh, It is is set up in a way to where we get to share the gospel with those who might not have heard it who might not have believed it, who might not have experienced the love of Jesus before. So I encourage you, invite people that you know. There's cards in the seat backs in front of you. Uh, we can't keep those anymore. They get thrown out after this Sunday. So you might as well just take them and give them to everybody that you know so we can get some use out of them. And then we'll be right back in here Easter Sunday to celebrate the resurrection at 9 and 10.30. But that isn't all that I would hope that you would use for this Holy Week encourage you to have this time throughout this, to prepare, to read through the gospel accounts, to read through uh, what Jesus says he has accomplished in this, to look at what it is that he did in the week leading up to his death and resurrection, the week that made it possible for us to know and be known by our God. I want to also put on your uh, radar that for those of you who are members, who have gone through our membership class, who uh, claim that this is your church, that you are part of it, you are committed to it, we have our annual meeting um, every year. That's, that's when we have our annual meeting. Do you see how we do that? Uh, and this one is coming up on uh, April 25th at 7 p.m. at the Boulder campus. This is a time for us to celebrate what God has been doing throughout Calvary, all three campuses and online. This is a time for us to look ahead to this upcoming year, to look at who God has uh, placed uh, in our community to to lead us as elders, to look at uh, how we have done financially, uh, both in stewardship and and what we're looking to see uh, what God is calling us to in this next year. So if you've gone through membership class, if you're a member here, I encourage you to come to the Boulder campus uh, at 7 p.m. on April 25th. We are continuing our series in the book of James, and I know that we've done this at uh, quite a few different paces. We spent what felt like 43 weeks on chapter one, and then uh, weren't we in chapter one just three weeks ago? Yes, we were, but we are trying to look at what is James teaching us throughout this time? What was he teaching his original audience, people who knew the gospel, people who were called to live for Jesus, and what is he doing for us? What is he telling us to do? How are we called to live as people who know and follow Jesus. 
So there's, there's this trope that occurs within uh, quite a few movies where there's this one object, and it's, it's a really powerful object. And if the bad guys get their hands on it, well, they're going to use that to destroy the world or uh, a country or everything that's good. And, and that's, that's, that sounds terrible. And so with the, the stakes that high, with the damage potential so great, well, the only thing that you could do is to destroy that object. But then there's that one guy, that one character who always, who always says, well, what if we didn't destroy it? What if instead we took this powerful object and we, we used it for good instead? Wouldn't that be better? Think of all the good that we can accomplish with it. And this character is supposed to make us think, how would we respond what would we do with the Tesseract or the Allspark or the One Ring, which is also called the Ruling Ring in Isildur's Bane? What would we do with that object? And we, from our couches or uh, right before we get kicked out of the movie theater, we yell out, destroy it! Why would you risk it? Why would you keep this around if things could go so poorly? but we're removed from the situation. We don't feel the stakes. We don't feel the concern of, yes, things could go bad, but what if we used it for good? What would we really do with something so powerful that can lead to destruction or good? How would we use it? Well, James makes the case that we make that decision all the time. In fact, every day. In fact, countless times each day. We make the decision for destruction or good every time we open our mouths to speak. Because we have within us something so powerful as to bring wounds and pains towards others, but also so much good and encouragement. And it's how we decide to use this powerful object that will determine whether it's used for good or for evil. Now, the connection to the objects in movies falls apart a little bit because James doesn't tell us to destroy the object before it could use, be used for bad. If you were feeling the temptation to cut off your tongue and cast it in the fires of Mount Doom, let me stop you right here. But we do make that decision. How will we use this powerful item that can cause devastation but also so much good? How will we use our tongue and this is connected to this, this section that, that uh, James has been talking us through, that faith without works is dead. If we claim to be following Jesus, if we claim to have faith in him, if we claim to be part of his family and yet our lives do not look like the life he has called us to live, if we do not do the things God has called us to do, well, then it might not be true faith that we have. We might be deceived we might not be the people we think we are. James talks through multiple works. And again, these aren't to earn God's affection, but in light of God's affection, this isn't to be saved, but because God is saved, we then look at how we love each other, how we treat each other. We don't show partiality or favoritism, that we give charity and aid to those who are in need. And then James shows us another work, our words, if we claim to follow Jesus and yet we do not honor him with what we say, 
If we claim to, to have faith, but we do not demonstrate this with our words, well, then it might not be true and lasting faith that we have. We might not be the people we think we are. The topic of the tongue has been a really important one for James. It's, it's popped up quite a few times. I think of uh, James 1.19, which says we are to be slow to speak. Uh, James 1.26, what sounds so much like our passage, uh, said this. He said, if anyone thinks he is religious but does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, that person's religion is worthless. We talked at that time that you can even make the case that all of chapter one and every part of it had something to do with our words because our tongue, what we say, has so much significance, has so much power that James wants to continue to come back to and say this is one of the main areas that our works, our words, must demonstrate our faith. In James chapter three, verses one through 12, he's gonna make this simple point that we need to control our tongue, even though that's hard to do, even though we use it for both good and for evil. We need to control the tongue. Now, to start that off, we get to James chapter three, verse one. Uh, which says this, it says, not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that those who teach will be judged with greater strictness. So we need to control the tongue and this is vital for teachers. So much so that we have this, this scary passage there that those who want to become teachers face a stricter judgment. Now, this passage doesn't apply to anyone in here, so why don't we just skip over and go to verse two? No, but anyone who seeks to teach God's word, they have this really dire warning. There is a stricter judgment. So not many of us should aspire to become a teacher. Now, this temptation might not come for all of you. The very thought of standing up here, there is nothing that would get you to do that whatsoever. But aspiring to a teacher was, was significant at this time. We need to remember that it's, it's a mostly illiterate society, and so you would gravitate towards those who had authority, who could teach, who could uh, tell people what to do. People remembered what you said. People put what you said into action. There's honor that comes there. There's authority that comes there. Yeah, I want that job. But James warns that there is a stricter judgment for those who teach God's word. Anyone who is in our groups, anyone who stands on this stage, anyone who teaches uh, about who God is and what he's done to others, to their family, that there is this warning of stricter judgment there. Now, this doesn't mean that there is a stricter requirement, that uh, anyone who teaches God's word has to be perfect at all times, that there's more things that we must fulfill. No, no, no. There is one Christian life that all Christians are called to, but there is a more strict judgment because there are deeper implications for those who are teaching. James, I think, uh, reveals this in, in verse two. It says, for we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. So we all stumble in many ways. And, and so why is there a more strict judgment for those who are teachers? 
Well, it's because we engage in one activity that can lead to sin, speaking. That me being up here, I can stumble in many ways, but with what I say, with what I do, I can lead others to stumble as well. I can trip them up in following after Jesus. That I can put obstacles and hindrances towards them in following after our good God. You see, my sarcasm can deeply wound. I don't know if you've realized that I can be sarcastic at times. Uh, That was sarcasm there. Uh, Something I say contrary to what you believe or or what you believe a, a pastor or a teacher ought to do, well, that could wound you. A disagreement in private becomes public when I walk up here. A story that you didn't want to have known I share. I make this time more about me than about God. I teach more about me than about God. These are all ways that I can cause people to stumble with what it is that I say. That while it's damaging for me, while it's a hindrance for me, it's also a hindrance for others. And that's the warning here. Control of the tongue is vital for teachers. We all stumble in many ways, and yet I have an opportunity to not just do that for myself, but for others. Uh, Perry Marshall, who's normally at the Boulder campus, he and I were talking about this passage this past week, and I I really like how he put it. He said, uh, teaching is a high-stakes position for stumblers like us. Teaching is a high-stakes position for stumblers like us, not because we are called to any more severe or strict Christian life, but because of the damage potential being so high. But the passage isn't just about those who are teachers. We are called to control our tongue, and that's vital for those who are teachers, but it's vital for all in controlling our bodies. Look again at uh, verse 2. It says, For we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone, anyone, does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. This idea of uh, a perfect man or woman, uh, it makes me think back to uh, chapter 1, verse 4, where James says uh, is that we may be perfect and complete, not lacking in anything. This is an idea that James continues to come back to. What is it that we are to do? What is the life that we are called to be? How do we live in response to our God who is perfect? Well, he's slowly making us more and more like him until the day we stand before him fully perfected. And one of the ways that James has talked about is that we are to control our tongue, which has an ability to direct our entire life. It doesn't just stop with what we say, but it controls, it bridles, it brings under our uh, power our entire body to direct it in the way that God is calling it to direct it to. We are called to control our tongue. Now there's two parts of controlling something, and it goes back to those, those objects that are in the movies. There's the stopping it from bad, to stopping it from evil, but also directing it towards good. And James talks about both of those as being parts of how we speak, of controlling our tongue. The first part of that is stopping the bad, stopping the, our words from being used for evil. 
And and to get there, we need to jump over to uh, verse 6. So verse 6, I think, is uh, extremely important for understanding uh, James' teaching on the tongue, on our words. It also happens to be one of the most difficult verses to understand in the entire book of James. Uh, But let's see if we can land on some understanding together. So uh, James chapter 3, verse 6, it says, And the tongue is a fire. A world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. So even if we don't get what what some of those phrases mean or or what it all means when you put it together, I, I think we can gather from it that James sees very clearly the destructive capabilities of the tongue. That as we're seeking to control the tongue, we are stopping it from any evil uses, stopping it from any way that runs contrary to what God has called us to do with our lives. Now, to understand this, I I, I had kind of a simple sentence that, that might be beneficial for us to see. What is James talking about? What is he saying is so bad about how we might use the tongue? Uh, and, and hopefully, it's helpful for us as well. So, my simple sentence for understanding verse six is this. Uh, corrupt speech corrupts the body, which directs our entire life, taking us in opposition to God. That's what I think verse 6 is telling us. Corrupt speech corrupts the body, which directs our entire life, taking us in opposition to God. Well, let's, let's break this down, but more important than you memorizing what it is that I said. Again, we're, we're not in that illiterate society. You don't have to do that anymore. Uh, but we do need to see what is Scripture telling us to do. Let's see if we can see that this is what is going on in the text. So uh, verse 6, the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. And this is what I saw as corrupt speech. Uh, so we have, uh, let's make sure I spell things correctly. Uh, so we have within us uh, things that pull us contrary to God, that, that take us in opposition to who he is. We, we live in this world that is full of unrighteousness, of sin, of opposition to him. And what we do when we speak, we take all that is within us, all those places we run contrary to him, all those places we give in to our own desires rather than the good way that that he has set before us, and these come toppling out of our mouth as corrupt speech, as a faucet to release all that is within us that runs against God. This flows out of us as corrupt speech. But it doesn't just stop there. It's also uh, a way of demonstrating that we, uh, this corrupts our bodies as well. Because as we continue in the passage, uh, the tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body. So as we speak, it isn't just the stopping there. These aren't just words that we're using, but it's actually taking us, our entire beings, in opposition from God as well. Think of what Jesus has said, out of abundance of heart, the mouth speaks What we say demonstrates what is within us, but it isn't just that we are in this state. We are full of this world of unrighteousness. We are set in a place that runs against God, but it also directs our entire life apart from him as well. That as we speak, uh, it moves us further away from him. And you see that, staying the whole body, uh, setting on fire the entire 
course of life. So as we speak, we demonstrate what is inside of us, but we're also setting the course that we will then take. As we say these things, it is, it is setting us up for a path that runs against the way that God is calling us to live. We're showing our feelings, our emotions, our thoughts, but not just now, but it's showing the direction that we will take, the life that we will live, that corrupts speech, corrupts the body, and directs our entire life as well. And the results of all of this, the result of continuing to give in uh, to this way, well, we will use the scary red that it is set on fire by hell, takes us in opposition to God. Corrupts speech, corrupts the body, which directs our entire life in opposition, taking us in opposition to God. Now, this pathway. This is so different than how we often understand our words. We don't see these, these steps as being what it is. Instead, we, we minimize it. We say things like, oh, I, I'm just saying. I didn't mean it. I was just angry. I can't help what it is that I say. When we minimize our speech, when we minimize the power of our tongue, when we don't realize that this is the pathway we are taking we're missing something vital. Our tongues are so powerful. Our words are so shaping for the people around us, but for ourselves as well. We're demonstrating what is inside of us, and we are demonstrating the path that we will take. Because think about it. Every time that we give in to these temptations, every time that we give in to these desires to speak in a way that runs contrary to God's way, well, we are veering off course. We're taking a separate path and each time that we do it, each time that we walk that path, well, it becomes more and more worn, easier to traverse the next time and the next time and the next time. That corrupts speech, corrupts the body, directing our lives, taking us in opposition to God. This power of the t- tongue is so much more significant than we often give it credit towards. Now, controlling the tongue is more than just, you know, stop saying bad things. That's not all that we are called to do. Control of the tongue is directing it towards good as well. And we see that in the passage. Look at verse uh, 3. It says, if we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also, though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So so the tongue is a small member, and yet it boasts of great things. So in controlling the tongue, what James says is so vital for us to do, we demonstrate the faith that we have through our works, through our words. It's about stopping it towards the bad stopping it towards the evil, but it's also directing it towards the good as well. And and to get that, I I think the the important word in this passage is that word guide. We see it in verse 3, and we see it in verse 4 as well. That guide has with it this meaning of intentionality, of not just going to some place, but meaning to go to that place, of directing intentionally to a good and better place than where you are. 
And that's the illustration with these horses and, and with these boats, that there's a small piece, whether it's a bit or a rudder, that the, the rider or the pilot or the driver is able to get the vessel, whether it's a horse or a boat, to do exactly what it wants to do, to go to a place that might otherwise be inaccessible without being able to guide that horse or guide that boat that these small pieces have such a huge impact over it that it can guide, it can be led in a purposeful way to incredible places. I mean, think about what you can see someone do with a horse. You can get them to jump over obstacles. You can go into competitions. You can, you can do some great things. You can go down treacherous ravines, which we might fall down without them. You can uh, be guided intentionally to some great places. People on, on boats, I've seen uh, uh, pil- uh, drivers, pilots of boats go through uh, really narrow places, a foot or less on each side between their boat and the shore or a wall or another vessel. Meanwhile, there's me in, in a kayak, uh, which kayaks are really easy to navigate for the most part. I, I think of one time where I was in the ocean. So one thing about the ocean, I don't know if you know this or not, but the ocean is pretty big. Uh, And I was in a kayak in the ocean once and I somehow found a way to crash into a boat. I don't mean another kayak. I don't mean a dinghy. There was this giant boat there, only other thing around me, and I crashed into it in the kayak. That's the power of the tongue though that we can use it and we can crash into things and leave devastation behind it. That's what verse five continues to say, how great a forest is set ablaze by a small fire. That this small thing, a tongue, is small in relation to our body. We can do so much pain and devastation with our tongues. Made me think of that, that childhood phrase, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. That is the dumbest thing I've ever heard. Medicine has caught up to the point where we can get to almost 100% mobility and function after a broken bone in a really quick uh, amount of time. And yet I still carry wounds from something that was said in passing that if you ask that person three minutes later, hey, did you say something? I don't even know if I saw him today. And yet I carry what they said with me 20 years after the fact. Our words can have tremendously painful Uh, impact. It can wound and destroy people. This small thing can have such a devastating effect. And yet when we guide it, when we intentionally use it for good, for the purposes God has for us, it can have a tremendous impact on others with our encouragement, with our teaching, with our training, offer insistence to others that this small thing can be used to navigate intentionally for so much good instead. That while we can hurt people, we can also add so much good with what it is that we say to others. We can add so much positive with our interactions to other people. That we don't always have to crash and burn with our words I think of Proverbs 16, 24, it says, gracious words are like a honeycomb, sweetness to the soul and health to the body. That when we use our words to demonstrate the faith that we have for good, directing them towards good rather than evil, that we can have such a positive effect. And that's what James is saying. We can control horses and boats 
but it could also be a spark that lights a fire that takes out an entire forest. How will we use our words? Control of the tongue is vital. And we see this when we look throughout human history, right? We can see the power of words. Just about every movement throughout human history has some figure right at the center with some terrific rhetoric. And there's sometimes where they are using good. They are seeking to use their words for good, that they are amassing this following. But what it is that they're doing by seeking to direct their words towards good, that human history is better for them taking that role that they were in. But then there's other leaders, but that's not the case. That they were compelling, they were attractional, they brought people together, they amassed this following, and yet they sought evil, and humanity is worse for that. Or we can go more personal. We have made life altering decisions. We've set the course of our life in a different way just based off the words that someone has said to us. And this could be so much good. Maybe this is someone identifying something inside of us that we didn't see and that set up the rest of our life of based off of the words that they use for our good. I, I would not be up on the stage if it wasn't for someone early on saying, I think you might be gifted in this way. And so we set our life in a way because of the good that someone has said to us. But then there is that opposite as well, that we've made life-altering decisions when someone has said something awful to us and we never wanted to hear those words again. Our words are powerful. And that's why James points to the fact that we need to control our tongue as we are to demonstrate the faith that we have through our words, through works, that control of the tongue is vital for teachers, but it's vital for all as it sets the course of our lives, directing us towards God or in opposition to him. And yet James acknowledges that this is a hard thing to do. Controlling the tongue is difficult. Look at verses um, 7 and eight, I know I crossed out some of it, that's on accident, but it says, for every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. You have this opposition of uh, humanity has tamed all kinds of animals and yet the tongue uh, has this snake-like characteristic to it that lashes out, it's full of poison. And we've been able to get so many types of animals under control, either to make our lives more convenient or for our entertainment. I mean, think of the audacity of humanity that with lions, lions used to destroy lives. They used to dictate where you can live and not live because you might be too close to lions. And yet, what do we make them do now? We make them roar for our entertainment, not as a highlight, but just to announce that the movie is starting. We have controlled all sorts of animals, and yet no human being can control the tongue. And part of this is because of how we use it. We use it for both good and for evil, but this should never be the case. It's as ridiculous as two different types of water coming from the same source, two different types of fruit coming from the same vine. 
as James talks about in verses nine through 12. But he says, my brothers and sisters, this ought not to be so. This should not be how we operate. We should not use our tongue to praise God, but then cut down others made in his image. And this is because to do that, to use our words for evil, to use them for these poor ways, well, it undoes all the good that we have sought to do. That our bragging undoes our praises. Our cutting down undoes our compliments. Our gossip undoes our encouragement. Our lying undoes the truth. Our complaining undoes our reliance. Our hate undoes our love. And yet the passage, or the point that James continues to make, we need to control our tongues. Yes, because of the impact that it has on other people. Yes, because we might cause them to stumble as well. Let's not miss out on the key point that corrupts speech, corrupts the body, which direct our entire lives, taking us in opposition to God. So we control our tongue in response to this faith that we claim to have so as to not destroy those around us, but to not destroy ourselves as well as a poor use of our tongue, directing it towards bad rather than towards good. Well, it takes us away from the God that we claim to have faith in. So what do we do? James says that a man is perfect in all his ways if he controls the tongue, but then he also says no human being can control the tongue. So where's the hope in this passage? How do we control something that we're told we actually can't control? Well, first of all, I, I do want to say this. James has spent a lot of time talking about the tongue. And uh, spoilers, he's not done either. We're going to continue to bring this up. It shows up in chapter 4, a little bit in chapter 5 as well. Uh, James is not going to spend all this time on the tongue if there's no hope. That if there's nothing to be done. But I think when you look at these two parts together, man is perfect in all of his ways when he controls his tongue. No human being can control the tongue. It should drive us to figure out something deeper. It should drive us to look at what's in our heart. Jesus says, out of abundance of heart, the mouth speaks. And if we seek to just find ways to have tighter reign over our tongue, if we read this passage and say, I'm going to try really, really hard to not direct my tongue's usage towards evil, yeah, it's going to be a fruitless task. So we should look, what is in our heart? What is it that we are truly feeling and experiencing and believing? See, if we're feeling insecure, we might speak out of that to try to cut others down. If we're feeling overlooked, then we're going to try to demonstrate how we are better than other people. If we're feeling hurt, we might speak out of that hurt. If that is what is the content of our heart, then that is what is going to come spilling out of our mouth, directing our lives in opposition to God. But if we instead have a heart that is saturated with the person and work of Jesus, 
on the story that we celebrate on this holy week of Jesus going to die the death that ought to have been ours, of being raised to life, demonstrated he accomplished all that he sought to accomplish, giving us hope, shaping and saving us. If that is the content of our heart, then that will come out through our tongue as well. So my encouragement to you is to look at the words of Jesus. We said, let's not just have this Holy Week be about Friday and Saturday and Sunday. I mean, actually do those. Would love to see you on those three days. But that should not be the extent of this Holy Week. We should remind ourselves of who this Jesus is and what he has done and why this week is so significant. But let's also look at the words of Jesus because this is our model for how we're to treat others. But this is the content of how Jesus has treated us as well. Remind yourself of what it is that Jesus has said as that shapes what we say, as that shapes ourselves as well. Encourage you to find people that you could be accountable to this as well. If you are claiming to follow Jesus and yet you find your, your tongue, your words not reflecting that, find people that you could trust who can come alongside of you and offer guidance and help and hope in the midst of that. Now, I know this is hard, that it's not often in the midst of life group that you struggle with controlling your tongue. But it's not here when we're sugaring up and drinking coffee that it's a hard time. It's more gonna be Monday morning or Thursday afternoon when you're just beat up from this work week and there's another day left to do. That it's when someone isn't operating in the way that you want them to operate. It's when your kids messed up that you are then messing up in return. That it's those times that we need help with getting control over the tongue. And that's when I say, that's when you need to invite people in. Find someone that you could trust who can point you back to what the content of our heart is, of who Jesus is and what he's done. Invite them in in those moments so that we can get a control over this tongue that can lead us in opposition to who this God is. We see the significance of this passage. A man is perfect in all of his ways if he controls the tongue, but no human being can control the tongue. No human being can but your heart can. A heart that is so full of God produces a tongue that is full of the praises of God. A heart that is so shaped and saved by our good Jesus is shaped in what it says in return. A heart that is full of the spirits working within us is working to have others know that same spirit as well. Let me pray for us. Father, we are so grateful for your words because they are what shapes our words. That we live in opposition to you. We go down these other paths. We see things that we think are better, are more fulfilling, and yet they fall flat compared to the good plan that you have for us that's for our good and for your glory that as we do so, you don't have an expectation for us to just be better, to try harder, to work more, to earn, 
but instead you give us the means to follow after you, the means to become more and more like you until we stand before you, made perfect by you, for you. Help us to worship you with our words, to see the damaging impact that they can have, but also the beauty that can come from them, that we can hurt, but we can also heal, that we can direct people from you, but we can also worship. Help us to have hearts full of who you are so that we have lips full of your praise. Let us find people who can bring us uh, closer to you through your work. Let us find joy and hope in your words. Let us direct our entire lives after you because of who you are and what you've done. So it's to you and you alone we pray. Amen.